0: I mean I think it's definitely an advantage when you travel to expect to be surprised Yes. and to be mindful of the fact that your way of doing things is not the only way of doing things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, the, and you can learn a lot from other cultures and, and you can also learn to appreciate some things about your own. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found it was really hard to find all the information that I was looking for and it was also really hard to find it in one place. I might be able to find a snippet here and a snippet there and read 20 Facebook groups and like, you know, message people and ask them what they did. But I definitely was not finding everything I wanted and getting answers easily. So I thought, well, let me create something kind of like a Yelp where people can go in, like review uh, their experiences, what it was like, kind of crowdsource it. Because even if I travel for the next five years, I still can't go everywhere, right? That was part of my idea. And that uh, is now one pillar of my site.
1: Welcome to the Wingin It Travel podcast with me, James Hammond. Every Monday I'll be joined by guests to talk about their travel stories, travel tips, backpacking advice and so much more. Right now I'm taking the podcast on the road travelling with me so tune in every week for short form episodes detailing all my travels alongside my Monday guest episode. Are you a backpacker, gap year student or simply someone who loves to travel then this is the podcast for you designed to inspire you to travel. There'll be stories to tell, tips to share and experiences to inspire. Welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to this week's episode where I'm joined by Emily Wilson, who runs the organization Pets Around the World. I do love dogs, so when Emily told me that she wants to reach out and talk about it, I was in. So we're going to talk about traveling with pets, dogs, and also discuss some logistics of that, how Emily can help you, and of course some wanderlust and travel stories too. Emily, welcome to the show. How are you doing?
0: Hi, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here.
1: Thank you for coming on the show. Where are you based right now?
0: So we're currently nomadic. We left California in the beginning of August for a road trip around the U.S. and and to Canada, I guess, so Northern America. And uh, so we're in Florida right now at the last part of our road trip. And uh, we're heading back to California for Christmas. So we've really, really enjoyed our time. We're kind of slow mads, I guess, is the word that a lot of people use. Mm -hmm. And I, I like it where we try and go to one place and stay for about a month. And then we kind of fast travel in between to get to the next destination. Mm -hmm. And then um, so we kind of did the four corners. So we left uh, the Bay Area, California, where I lived. We went to um, Victoria in Vancouver Island. Then we traveled across the country to Maine and we stayed in Brunswick, Maine. Then we went south. Now we're in Florida and then we're going to be heading back next week back to California, so big square.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, we've done the whole trip across Camden. July actually, July and August, yeah. Uh, got got through to Maine and then come back across. It's an epic trip because it's so big. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, it really is. And when you're trying to go across and not because my husband had to use his vacation times when we're not um, stopping in one place for a while, yeah. And so it's like we don't, you know, you keep looking at the map and going, "Oh my gosh!" And this place looks amazing. And this place, how <laughs> can we possibly get across the country in two weeks? This is insane, you know.
1: Do you like okay. have a, what you'd say, like a base in US? Do you spend more time in one state than any other?
0: Well, California would be it. Okay. Um, this is kind of new for us in terms of being nomadic. Um, so the, we've lived in San Jose in California for the past 15 years or so. Oh,
1: wow. Well, yeah. We're going to delve into some sort of backstory of travel, and then we'll get onto the pets because it's a really interesting subject because uh, a lot of people have pets and maybe are fearful of traveling with pets because of the logistics, the paperwork, the money, whatever it is, how it works. So we're going to dive into that. But before that, I just want to know, as a backstory, where you're initially from, was travel part of your life from an early age?
0: Um, in terms of my backstory, so I was born in California. And uh, if you hear my accent, that's where it sounds like I'm from. But I actually grew up in South Africa. Oh, So wow. we moved to South Africa when I was eight. And then we came back basically for my last year of high school. And uh, then I stayed after that. And when I moved back to university, university, um, then my parents moved to Kenya. Um, wow. And so then I spent some summers there in Kenya and things like that during university.
1: So what is the connection there with Africa as a continent? Is it parents jobs or family? Like, yeah, it was that... my
0: parents job. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, so they worked there. Then I lived there for a number of years. So we left California and we moved to South Africa. And then, you know, with traveling within Africa itself, Southern and Eastern Africa mostly, um, but also coming back and forth to the US. Um, at the t- Now there's actually a few direct flights, but at the time um, we'd always either go through Asia or through Europe. And um, so we'd often stop for maybe a week or sometimes two weeks in different places. And um, so I saw a lot of places around the world just going back and forth between the US and South Africa. <laughs> even as a kid um, and then uh, we had a, a dog when I was a teenager he was a little Jack Russell terrier um and whenever we came back for longer periods of time he'd come with us so I've been traveling with my dog since I was 15.
1: wow I think I saw on your website uh you got a Norwich terrier right one
0: mm. mm-hmm.
1: well, from Norwich in the UK so I guess it's, oh okay oh, yeah <laughs> um pretty... and
0: I have been chastised by British people because oh, no. in the U.S. we don't call them Norwiches, they're Norwich. Norwich, yeah, right? of
1: course, yeah, yeah.
0: And then, but I said that to someone when I was in Portugal, and she was British, and she was like, that's like going somewhere and calling it Arkansas. <laughs>
1: you know, <laughs> yes. you just
0: don't do that. And yeah. I was like, well, okay, sorry, but in the U.S., it's Norwich.
1: <laughs> Norwich, yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay, so you must have hit so many different countries by the time you are like, into university. You must have gone to, like... 10 or 15, right, if you keep going across and probably doing trips within those areas of the world, that's quite an early start for understanding like what travel is and also other cultures as well.
0: Yeah. So I feel like, you know, in terms of where do you get your love of travel from or whatever, Yeah. it's just sort of, you don't even, I don't even think about it like, oh, I learned to love travel as an adult or whatever, going on vacation. It was just like, in some ways, it's more just like, it's just what you do. It's just how you live. It's not a, it's not even a choice, I guess, in some ways, it's just um, how life should be, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, but obviously a lot of people don't move away from their neighbourhood, right, growing up, because they feel they don't need to or don't even want to. It's quite an interesting dynamic, Yeah, especially in the USA, because in Europe, I think you can travel quite cheaply, now you can anyway, to other countries, like, like short haul flights that are 20 $30. But I guess back in the day, that probably wasn't a thing, but I, I imagine now people can have the opportunity to travel a bit more um, growing up because it's not as expensive as maybe it was, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years ago.
0: That's probably true. Yeah, it's become significantly easier uh, just in terms of the flights and well, and you can just go online and yeah. research everything versus, you know, when we were, when we were kids and my dad had to, like get paper magazines and yeah, yeah. chart out the flights and call the travel agent <laughs> and call back twenty back you know, none of that. You just go Google something and there you are.
1: <laughs> was there like a one particular trip in your childhood or even growing up into adolescence that really sparked it or you really enjoyed and you thought, oh wow, that that, that is incredible?
0: I, I guess I would say one of the things that was very interesting was um that I lived in Transkei. So it's in South Africa, but it's a country that doesn't exist anymore. Oh. So it was one of the okay. places that was created um, okay. by the apartheid South African apartheid government and stuff. So I think that's kind of funny, like, oh, yeah, I lived in a place that doesn't exist anymore. And, <laughs> that's quite but, unique. Yeah. <laughs> but the entire you know South African coast and everything, it's just gorgeous. Mm. And living there in particular, um, because it's not a place that's super high tourist. So just, you know, going to the coast there, there's the monkeys and the tree. It's just, I don't know, it just feels so untouched and in, in a place that, like, unless you're from there, no one goes there.
2: Mm. So
0: it's kind of magical mm. in, in that regard. Um, so, yeah, it's fascinating. But um, in terms of going places with my dogs, I think probably that as an adult, one of the things that we did that was really interesting was, um, so my husband and I have been married for kind of a long time. Uh, I think this is our twenty-first year, um, and so now this is a while ago. We, you know, like I mentioned, we've been in San Jose for about fifteen years. So this would have been fifteen or sixteen years ago, which makes me really sad. Um, you know, he had a dream of you know learning Spanish, yeah. and and I'm one of those people that I'm like, you don't just talk about dreams. If you've got something you want to do, you just got to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so my little dog. Uh, was the puppy of that Jack Russell I mentioned that we had when I was a teenager. So yeah. she was this puppy and we got her as an adult. Um, yeah. So very special, her dad was very special and then getting his baby. And then she lived till almost 17. That was super special too. Wow. But um, so we wanted to go to South America, learn Spanish, but it was like, how do you, you know, we've got this little dog, what do we do? So we did leave her with my parents um, while we were backpacking for about three months and we visited six different places where we thought we might want to stay here and for another year or so um and uh then once we picked a place so we picked cuenca in ecuador then uh we flew back and grabbed her and brought her back and so she lived in ecuador with us Mm -hmm. um and that's another place that you know it's just it's so different from the u.s in terms of like there's so many rules and regulations and oh pets can go here they can't go there just do kind of what you want when <laughs> like ecuador she just goes in the bus she goes in the bag yeah. it's just not a big deal um so yeah she went all over ecuador in the bus with us and wow. um, we you know we had our home base in, in Cuenca where i was teaching english and things like that but um that was just really really fun going and there's no, like, dogs can go on this beach, but they can't go on this
1: beach. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> I, I think South America is a bit like that in general. <laughs> it's a very blasé approach. A lot of countries, anyway. Maybe not all, but, yeah, it's very much hard to just do what you want. I, I sort of jokingly mm-hmm. say it's lawless. It's not lawless, but there are some, like, real a lot of soft laws. <laughs> you kind of just, yeah. you know, dogs as as don't kill anyone. I think you, you kind of do what you want. I was actually going to ask, before we go into the pets that you've got and stuff like that, do you feel more at home? In America or in some South like Africa or another country in Africa. That, where's where do you feel home for you?
0: Um, it's a good question, but it's one that I think the answer changes. When I first left South Africa and came here like a university time, um, definitely I felt like a fish out of water in the States that um reverse culture shock, I think is what yeah. they call it.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um yeah. So definitely had that, especially going back from my last year of high school. Um, there was, you know, cause I had been in the South African school system by them for 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. And then going back for this one last year of high school, I was just constantly going like, why is this happening? What? <laughs> <laughs> Even, you know, just some weird things that are silly. Uh, for example, in South Africa, you have school uniforms in the state.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: People dress in ways that no one in South Africa dressed like, you know, just things <laughs> like that. Um, much less just talking back to the teacher or the teacher gives you a study guide for your quiz and you're like, why are you giving this to me? (laughs) It was just strange things. Um, so yeah, but now after being in California and all that for so long, um, you know, I definitely feel at home in California and I don't get surprised constantly of weird things happening. And, you know, so I'm sure now if I went back to South Africa, I would be Mm. surprised there too.
1: That'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that because you've already got like that sort of understanding from an early age and you won't be phased as much by different cultures because you probably experienced quite a culture shock and reverse culture shock. But whereas like I didn't really get culture shock until I was like twenty-three because I went to Asia. Um whereas before that's been like in the UK and some European countries and Australia, they're kind of same, same. I, I wonder if that's a big advantage when you're younger.
0: I mean, I think it's definitely an advantage when you travel to expect to be surprised yes and to be mindful of the fact that your way of doing things is not the only way of doing things mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, and you can learn a lot from other cultures and and you can also learn to appreciate some things about your own yeah that are good too um you know, like I've been to—I went to Japan, gosh, probably five years ago now. And Japan has lots of things that I just—you know—you're sort of on edge all the time. Like, oh, 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 it's—I <laughs> had to do this. Am I not? I don't know. Um, so, you know, you can you can kind of go in knowing, and then you get there and you and you find out like, oh, did that all wrong or whatever. Mm.
1: So. Yeah, we have got to come on to non-English speaking countries about. You know, with dogs because I'm interested to see what your experiences are if you travelled to some of those. Uh, next question, just before we get onto that is, do you think USA is probably like, in your experience, I know we jumped ahead a little bit here, it's probably like the best or one of the better places for pet travel?
0: So if you're comparing what I was just saying about Ecuador yeah. with the states, so one of the things about places like that that makes pet travel really nice and easy is that there aren't all these rules and laws and regulations, whereas here, there are and you have to follow them or you can get fined or ticketed or or things like that um on the other hand america is a dog loving society they're also very conservative about anything that could get them sued and (laughs) they're also very conscientious about things like health codes. so i mean in a lot of ways that's good because we don't tend to get food poisoning and things like that like you do in south america
2: yeah
0: um but that means you know going into places where you need to eat and your dog can't go that might be difficult especially depending on the Mm -hmm. weather or the time of the year that you're in a certain place so for example i think california is incredibly dog friendly and easy because we have such good weather yeah so it's really not hard even in february or january to just go sit outside on in a parklet and um just enjoy the nature enjoy the patio dining And um, a lot of beaches are dog friendly, too, Mm. you know, something like that. But once you start getting somewhere, even a place that is dog friendly, like Florida, um, do you really want to take your dog outside and go to the beach in Florida in July? You know, you're going to give your dog heat stroke.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah.
0: So Mm. you kind of have to pay attention to the the weather a lot, I think, to, to decide how friendly something is. And then every state's a little different, too. Yeah. Um, For example, California doesn't allow dogs to go to farmer's markets, but Maine does, mm. and so does Georgia. So, you know, there's some things that are just weird and like why, I don't know. Um, so you kind of got to know what the rules are for different states too.
1: I think that's quite a US-specific example because being from the UK, this is one rule for all, there's no like county lines mm-hmm. or <laughs> different areas that have different yeah. rules. And <laughs> um, that's why US is so interesting. It could be dogs, it could be paying tax whatever it is you just have to look at the rules of the state and to see what the if there are any and if there are how different they are it's quite an interesting country mm-hmm. in that respect Um yeah I was thinking about it. we want a dog in the future not now but we want a Bernese dog and we just know like going somewhere like mm-hmm. Florida or even California in the, in the summer you just wouldn't do it because Bernese just cannot cope with hot weather <laughs> so you have to like mm-hmm. obviously think about that sort of perspective when you have dogs riding, like the weather and stuff like that and where you are Um that's interesting because that is based on if you can move. If you if you if you're based in Florida full time, well you can't really get a Bernese, can you? That wouldn't be very responsible, would it?
0: <laughs> I mean they're gorgeous dogs and I yeah. suppose people do, but I wouldn't recommend it.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting one. Okay. Can you tell us about your dogs? What have you got?
0: Um so mostly I've been talking about my one who passed away. Uh yeah. that's my little Jack Russell. But um so I have a border terrier and he's actually 15 and a half So he's mm-hmm. a senior citizen who's traveling with us. So that has its own interesting things, some huge benefits, and then also some, um, you know, it's sad a little bit too. He's okay. He's kind of old and daughtery, and yeah. whatever, but he's a trooper. So <laughs> yeah, but he's a border terrier, about uh, twenty pounds. Um,
2: yeah.
0: And uh, the other one is a, and let's see if we're going to be British or American. He's a Norwich in America and a Norwich <laughs> in England, and uh, he is about 13 pounds and um he's fine and the reason you know it might be weird someone's like telling you how many pounds the dog is yeah but that makes a huge difference for a lot of pet travel um because it matters for flights and it matters for a lot of hotel rooms and things they'll put a weight limit on dogs sometimes even renting an apartment or things like that too so the weight of a dog is actually very significant and if I was a person like yourself who travels a lot I might try and find a dog that has the temperament of a Burmese, but the size of a something less than about 20 pounds.
1: Yeah, which Burmese aren't because they're huge. I do love Burmese dogs, though. They're lovely. Oh, just dreamy. Uh, I've got some quickfire questions about pet travel. But first, can you tell us about pets around the world and that you run? Uh, can you tell us what you do and what services maybe you, you offer as well and how you can help people?
0: Yeah, so I started it actually just out of my own necessity. Um, we were trying to plan to go, well, we knew we wanted to go be digital nomads. I have a bucket list of places that I wanted to go, and some of them included places like Thailand. And um, I've already been to Bali, but I thought, oh, that might be great to go back. A couple of places in Europe, and I also was interested in some other countries in Africa. And so I started one by one trying to go and look up what were the rules about Taking all my dog, my dogs to all these different places,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and some of them very quickly get crossed off the list. Like Bali, you can't take a dog. Oh. Literally, like it's not even like New Zealand or Australia where it's difficult. You just cannot bring a, a dog into Bali. Huh. Um, other places like Thailand, you know, I started learning that it, you can do it, but it's complicated, and once you get there, it's really hard to get around. So it starts to go like, oh, maybe not the best idea in the world.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but I found it was really hard to find all the information that I was looking for, and it was also really hard to find it in one place. I might be able to find a snippet here and a snippet there and read 20 Facebook groups and like, you know, message people and ask them what they did, but I definitely was not finding everything I wanted and getting answers easily. So I thought, well, let me create something kind of like a Yelp where people can go in, like review uh, their experiences, what it was like, kind of crowdsource it, because even if I travel for the next five years, I still can't go everywhere, right? Mm. So that was that was part of my idea, and that uh, is now one pillar of my site. So anybody who travels with dogs or is interested in traveling with dogs, you can either go look and read if you want to travel or if you already have. Um, I'd love for more people to add information. Uh, it asks, like, how easy was it to get in? How easy was it to find a place to stay? So it's a little like Yelpy. You know, you give it stars and stuff. Um, and then uh, other people can hopefully read it and um, learn more about what it would be like after i came up with that idea then i started realizing like a little you know i didn't really have an intention of becoming a blogger um Mm -hmm. but that (laughs) that's what i turned into Uh, and so i realized like oh i need a lot more content and there's tons more that people would love to learn about so then i started writing destination guides started writing things about how do you fly with your pets road trip with your pets and some one of the things i also learned is i am not a dog trainer and i don't ever pretend to be Mm -hmm. um my dogs are well traveled they're not always well behaved (laughs) but you know we work with them and uh, you know try and manage it and and work on the particular skills that they need to learn but definitely there's times when i'm like i don't know how to get them to do whatever it is that they need to do so then i asked my dog trainer and she helps us there are some skills that are essential for traveling with dogs like training them to be happy in a crate um training them to walk nicely in a leash just things like that like you Mm -hmm. just you can't travel if your dogs don't know those two basic things if they get anxiety in the car. So mm. um, definitely, I talk about some of those sorts of things um, as well on the site, just trying to help people who are interested. And in some, sometimes that just means going an hour away on a beach trip for the afternoon. And sometimes that might mean, you know, flying to a different country, but it all kind of starts with some of those same basics. So i um, trying to emphasize that in, in a lot of the posts and help people out that way.
1: Yeah, you kind of answer my next question, like, is there a gap in this type of information? Uh, For travel with pets, because like you said, that yeah, I just wouldn't even know where to look. So you must be like one of the only people who kind of collate all this information, right? Or is there there more people now who are starting to be like you and collate information for for pet travel?
0: Um, There's definitely some other bloggers out there who write about different places. Um, Mm. So there was one I love, her name's Travel, well, not her name, her blog's name is TravelNuity, and she's really um, helpful with Europe in particular. Um, but again, it was sort of like just the countries that she's been to and visited. And that's kind of what I kept finding um, over yes. and over again. It's like people would write about the few places that they have been to. And she's traveled a lot, so she has a lot. But if they hadn't been there, they weren't writing about it. And I was like, well, but I'm looking at like everywhere from Malta to Thailand to South yeah, Africa. Yeah, yeah. And no one is writing about all of them. <laughs> 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 so um, so yeah, there was no one place to go, and then there's definitely ones where. Oh, in Argentina, I was looking at that. Anyway, so so there's definitely um, resources for the pop more popular countries, of course, but yeah. some of the ones that are less popular, it was virtually impossible, and even sometimes the documents that are, um, you know, put out by the government officials they're in other languages, like the one for Costa Rica, it's in Spanish.
1: Of course. So I had to use,
0: I speak some Spanish, but not enough to read government documents. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I'm plugging it back and forth between copying and pasting into Google Translate and hoping that Google Translate understood the form. It made sense, so I'm I'm guessing they did, but, uh, you know, things like that. So I can see why people would have a really hard time because you can't even get the official information Mm -hmm. in English.
1: Right. Yeah, and I think you're doing the right thing about if you need people to come in and write an article about an obscure place that you've not been to, obviously, because unless you've been to every country in the world, yeah, you're not going to cover all the countries, are you? So, yeah, that's a good idea, I think, getting people to, to write about experiences, because how else would you do it? Is there a Guinness Book of Record for someone who travelled to every country with a, with a pet? Is there one of those? There probably <laughs> is one, right? You, you should try that. It'd be quite good fun.
0: Oh, there is a person on Instagram that I follow, and she's incredible. She's got actually a little Jack Russell. And she um she's traveled through I think maybe fifty countries.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um,
0: but not by plane. So she oh, goes okay. by boat or car or bus or whatever, yeah. walks sometimes. Yeah. Um so she's like crossed through Asia. Anyways, she's crazy and has an amazing Instagram, but it's she's French. Um so okay. you have to translate her post too.
1: Okay. And do you run the blog with um, Chris as well?
0: Yeah, yeah. He is incredibly helpful. His day job, he does a lot of business automation. Okay. Um, so he does kind of the tech side of things, especially, and um, he's trying to help me set up some things to do. Make you know, blogging. A, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that I had just no idea about when I started. Yeah. Just getting WordPress to look right, and oh um, god, and yeah. So doing some things to. Make it a little more automated, and he's also the photographer. Not neither of us are professional by any means, but he has a passion or an interest in it. Um, yeah. So he's he's enjoying it, and now he's buying all these gadgets, gimbals, and whatever, and <laughs> he's like over there swearing at the thing. Why is it not turning left? And I'm like, I don't know.
1: <laughs> I think you, as long as you have a passion in it, I don't think. Techie stuff is that important. I think it's come, it, it is important to degree, but long as you've got the passion for it and you keep going, I think that's the main thing.
0: Oh, yeah. Resistance is definitely key. Uh, I've
1: got some f- quick fire questions, if you like, about pet travel. I people listening right now are probably thinking, oh, I want to know about this, this, and this. So I've kind of come up with some questions that I think people would uh, think of asking. Let's go with you mentioned earlier about teaching your dog or, or training your dog, for example, traveling on boats and planes pets going on boats and planes for example like this is, might be, be a basic question where do they go
0: uh so that's back to the size and why the size is important yeah because if they're less than eight kgs almost all airlines will accept not every single one but almost all airlines will accept a pet in the cabin okay british airways is an exception so you know <laughs> yeah
1: don't <that'd> surprise me <laughs> uh, since you, that's
0: maybe one that you well it's because of the uk and they are trying to keep their country rabies free um so yeah but if a dog's under eight kgs they can go on almost any uh yeah and then when they're over eight kgs there are some airlines like southwest doesn't have a particular weight limit but um they do have a bag size limit so it could be something like a pug which are a little more dense but Mm -hmm. smaller and so they still fit in the bag but maybe they weigh 10 kgs or something yeah um so there's some airlines that are like that um and then they just go in a little it's it's not very big. So your dog really has to be pretty small to go in cabin. Um and you wouldn't want it to be too big because they go by your feet and you already get oh you know. Oh so I guess I'm I'm showing you, but you know, yeah. I didn't see it. I was just saying there's not a lot of space with my hands. Um <laughs> so if a dog is bigger um than those AKGs, especially internationally, then they are able to go through and this is important because people use the word cargo a lot. Um, but there actually is two things. So one cargo is um, that's usually referred to when you hire a shipping company, and the dog can go without you. So you could fly and then a week later, the shipping company can send your dog. Um it might be on a diff- totally different flight. It might even be on a non-commercial flight.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um and that's cargo. And um excess baggage is significantly cheaper. So you can go from the states to Europe for about four hundred dollars with excess baggage. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you go cargo, it might be anywhere between two thousand to four
2: thousand dollars. Oh wow,
0: cool! So big difference.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: usually, if you if you're trying to take your dog to the UK, that's what's required is the cargo, and most people will end up paying somewhere between two and four thousand dollars, depending. Like a Great Dane is going to cost way more than mm-hmm. a pug. Yeah, that's why most people prefer excess baggage, and then they go in. um People say, "Oh, they're just in there with the luggage." Then, "Oh my gosh, what do you mean? That sounds horrible." But no, it's you know, it's pressure controlled. Okay, people are trained to put the animal there. Right, um, it's climate controlled, so they're not in there freezing and they're you know. I would
1: have thought that just you just chucked in with baggage, as in like next to it. <laughs> <laughs> but the,
0: what it what it does mean though is the people who are handling the baggage are the ones who. Um, place it and so then when you go find your dog at the end um that's where you go look for them is in the oversized baggage area
1: okay got it so yeah
0: yeah so that's i don't know but yeah they're not just checked in the, <laughs> in the plane <laughs> oh and i was just gonna say but because you had asked about boats and things like that yeah. you can't go on very many cruises there's only one cruise that i'm aware of that takes dogs and that goes from i don't know if it's new york or somewhere on the east coast uh To the uk um okay so that's the only one i know and even then the pets don't go in your cabin with you there's like a special room almost like a kennel Mm. where the pets go and most people are on that for a waiting list of about 18 months wow okay to take their dog on that particular cruise so yeah but they often can go on ferries that's really really common
1: Yes, ferries, of course. I guess the other part of travel not really asked about here is traveling different countries by land. So if you're driving from, I don't know, France or Spain or whatever, different countries by land borders. Is that a problem? Was that easier? Or is it like each country got their own rules? Is it quite difficult to plan? What's your experience with that?
0: So if you're in the EU, it's fairly easy um, Okay, as they don't really check anything yeah. at borders um, and they all kind of agreed on the same rules. So that's, you know, just like a lot of things they have. Yeah. They all agreed on some set of regulations, and so then they're not checking anymore. If you are going back and similarly between Mexico, Canada, and the U.S., they've come up with just those trade agreements that they have, yeah. and so they've made it very simple. You just need your rabies certificate. Okay. Um, but we crossed back and forth between Canada a few times on this road trip, and you know we always said, "Oh, we have our dogs," and they always went, they just waved us on through. Oh, fair enough. Care. No okay. one checked. Um, but I kept track of that kind of information. And it seems like maybe about a quarter of people going back and forth between Canada get checked. Um, and the other three quarters, it doesn't seem like the, the agent cares. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Um, it seems like they check a little more coming in and out of Mexico, but even then not, it doesn't seem like it's a a huge priority for the border agents to, Mm -hmm. (laughs) to process that where it becomes a lot more tricky are there's countries that are called classified as high rabies countries okay so you can imagine what some of those probably are it's countries where um a lot of asian countries um eastern european countries south american countries things like that um and so when you're coming back into the eu back into the us and you've been in one of those countries um, it's much more difficult because they require what's called a rabies titer test Okay. Um, and I didn't know what that was a year ago, so I'm going to assume no one who's listening both, um, unless this, they're really invested in dog travel. Yeah. And it, basically what they do is they draw your blood, the dog's blood, not your blood, the dog's blood, and they check to see if they have enough rabies antibodies that they would have been protected in that other country. So even if they did get bit or something that they wouldn't be then bringing it back into the EU or the US, mm-hmm. um, the huge challenge around that though is that by the time you get the blood drawn you send it into the lab it gets however long it needs to be processed usually they require about three months wow so you can't on a whim go oh i'm going to go to columbia mm-hmm. next week or next month and then be like and then i'm going to go back to whatever so you if you, if that's what you're doing if you're picking one of those countries you really need to plan for it in advance and and get all of your paperwork and send it in and it's not cheap and it costs somewhere between about two and four hundred dollars per dog right on what the vet charges
1: do Mm -hmm. dogs get the same as human beings in terms of like a rabies jab how does Mm -hmm. it work for it is the same sort of thing you get you get your rabies jab and
0: there's two main kinds one is a one-year vaccine and one is a three-year vaccine and different countries have regulations around which one they want right so the us is a three year i'm trying to remember if it was the eu or the uk but anyways one of those is a one-year
1: that's interesting. That is that based on the booster you get with the the jab, I guess, right? Because if it's one year, what's the difference between that and three years if it's the same jab?
0: I don't know.
1: <laughs> I'm not asking you. I'm just saying, uh, yeah, it's just a bit of a strange, strange rule. Okay, that's interesting.
0: Yeah, so I don't know if it's the the formula is different. Or, yeah. Um, yeah, I yeah, I don't want to speculate.
1: Yeah, that's fair enough. Okay, with paperwork, you mentioned paperwork a minute ago. Do like dogs have like a dog passport? Is that a thing, or even different animals have like a passport, if you like, in in quote brackets there uh, to travel? Uh, if not, what do they need?
0: Yeah, so that's actually a really important question because um, in the EU they have something called a pet passport. Okay. So it's an EU pet passport, yeah. and once you have it, that's super helpful to get around the EU. If you're leaving, you know, going to UK, coming back, going out of the Schengen zone, coming back, whatever. Mm-hmm. Really, really, really helpful to have that. You can even use it to go back to the U.S. and then come back to the EU.
2: Um,
0: And it looks a little bit like a passport. It's a little booklet, you know. um, But people get confused and they ask about it all the time if they're from the U.S. and they're wanting to go to the EU. They see that there's this EU pet passport and so then they go, oh my gosh, I don't know how to get it. I asked my vet about it and my vet said they don't do pet passports. And then they get kind of worked up about it because they don't understand that that is something given by eu countries meant for travel within eu countries into or within yeah um so you cannot get one in the u.s it's impossible Mm -hmm. and i i have seen some i guess i would call them scams i don't know um where they call them pet passports um you can like order them online or something some of them are kind of cutesy (laughs) i think they're meant to be like cute i don't know um and so i don't think those are meant to be a scam but they Mm. don't do anything for you other than be cute um but the some of them i think are are actually scams they're trying to trick people into paying a bunch of money to get this document that doesn't do anything um so the u.s if you're just traveling within the states you don't need anything um again back and forth between canada and mexico you just need your rabies certificate from your vet nothing else um but if you're going from The us to another country the u.s has a um a document that gets sent into the usda and uh it's like a certified health certificate Mm -hmm. and so that's required to go to the eu and that's probably the most common one but you know different countries require slightly different things it's very it's one of those things that's like why you're pulling your hair out because if you want to go to country x yeah, yeah. Like, you have ten days, and you have you know you have to get it within ten days, and you have to have X, Y, and Z, and then country Z. They're like, oh, you have thirty days, and you you only need X and Z, you don't need Y. So you know, you really, if you're gonna be going to multiple places, you you can't just wing it.
1: <laughs> Damn, Th- there goes my podcast name. <laughs> uh, what about certain airlines? in your experience or basically are they known amongst your peers? What are some of the better ones or easy ones to deal with for pet travel in your experience?
0: That is a question that gets asked constantly in all the pet travel Facebook groups that I in. Okay, yeah. And uh, people report on that too. And so I kind of just do some unofficial tallies. Um, and really the answer, if you're talking American domestic airlines, one huge preference seems to be Alaska. They seem to be really good. Okay. Um, They're also one of the only domestic airlines that will fly dogs in the excess excess baggage that I was mentioning earlier. Um, Most U.S. airlines won't do that. So that's actually really helpful if you're trying to travel with a big dog. Um, But yeah, Alaska Airlines people seem to really like. Everyone else, it just seems sort of hit or miss. It's kind of who the gate agent is at the time, if they're friendly, if they're not. And you hear all kinds of stories like. Some people are like, I took my dog out of the bag and they sat on my lap for the whole ride and no one said anything. Um, that's totally against FAA regulations.
1: Yeah, I'll be surprised at that. <laughs> yeah. yeah it,
0: um, and then the other person said, I just opened the bag a peek to look at my dog, um, which I don't recommend, by the way, if they're sleeping, leave them alone. Yeah. Um, but and then the stewardess, you know, the air flight attendant came over and yelled at me, zip your dog back and back up, you know, that kind of thing. Riking. So. You know, it really just seems like it depends on the people who are at the gate and the people who are serving your section of the cabin
1: mm-hmm. and
0: perhaps what lecture they got from their boss. That <laughs> Alaska, though, generally gets some pretty high results. And then Lufthansa, which is a European airline, also is one that um,
2: yeah, generally. I think
0: has won national awards or international awards and has a very highly rated facility for Um, So when when I was just talking about the dogs going either in excess baggage or cargo, a lot of times people have to go through Frankfurt, uh, you know, sort of as a layover before they go on to whatever their final destination is. And they have a very nice facility, um, much nicer than a lot of places. So Mm. people will often pick Lufthansa if they have to do a layover to get wherever they're going because they know their dog is going to be very well taken care of in that transit time. Versus some other airports where they may just leave the dog in the crate and they're just sitting there. And sometimes it's like 18, 20 hours. That's a long time. Lufthansa will take them out, they'll walk them, they'll feed them. It's nice. They they do a really good job. Wow.
1: Like a proper, proper service, basically. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. You actually said something that reminded me of a question I want to ask was, if you're in the cabin and your dog is with you as hand luggage, if you'd like, but you're long haul, how do you, feed the dog to make sure it's okay but how do you if it's in your like cabin above your above your seat and it's like long haul or even like oh, medium haul
0: they're not above your seat they're <laughs> they're by your feet
1: okay right so, so they're never in like the uh the baggage handle at the top hold at the top
0: no you're making me laugh ah. <laughs> oh my gosh i can't imagine you just squish your dog up there and with all the other carry-ons floating around <laughs> no they go by your feet
1: this is a patron shout out to Laura from the Swamp Soup Stickers who has contributed £5 to the podcast on my Patreon. Thank you so much for your support. Really appreciate it and it helps the podcast to keep going in the future. If you're interested, head to the show notes where you'll find a link to my Patreon. The website address is patreon.com forward slash Wigan Air Travel Podcast. For £5 English pounds, you will receive some trendy stickers from myself and the post. A shout out on each episode and also my digital travel planner by email. Thank you for your support. Okay. And you are obviously allowed to feed them, right?
0: Yeah. Well, you're supposed to keep it zipped up, but yeah, you can, you can unzip it and give them little treats. A lot of people do that. Um, especially when the, when you're taking off and landing kind of bothers their ears just like it does us. So a lot of people will give them like a little bully stick or some kind of a chew that Mm. helps with the, um, clearing of their ears. The topic of feeding, though, is one where, you know, some people would don't like this idea, but really, it's better not to feed them that much, okay. especially if you're on a on a long haul flight, because mm-hmm. um, you know, feeding means they need to use the bathroom, and um, okay. you want to minimize that that sensation. Yeah. And dogs will often hold it, but you want to minimize their discomfort. Yes, yeah. So it actually is better to feed them a small meal a few hours before your flight, no more than about three hours before your flight. Mm-hmm. And then other than just like if they're starving or if they're crying or something like that, yeah, maybe. But otherwise, it's not the best idea to give them very much to eat.
1: Mm. I, I didn't think about that. Yeah, you're right. Huh. Very interesting. Okay, I've got a question here. You mentioned Bali does not accept anyone. Is there any countries that might surprise people that just reject pets in total?
0: Um, so yeah, Bali's the one that it's totally surprised me. Though they're just like, nope, not yeah. not at all. Um, but they're almost all island countries are very strict uh, okay. because if islands, so rabies is the reason.
1: Yeah,
0: um, rabies is really hard to eradicate, and if you bring it in, then um, it can just decimate a population or whatever. Mm. So some some places like Japan, they're not they don't say no. They make you really work for it you have to really want to take your dog to japan <laughs> if you want to go um and then i think people are much more familiar with uh, hawaii and australia as being very difficult places to take your dog yeah um so i would never recommend someone trying to take their dog to somewhere like new- australia new zealand some of the other island countries mm-hmm. um, unless they were moving there going yep. on a vacation even one that's maybe like one or three months long. i it, it wouldn't be worth it your dog's in quarantine for Yeah, Um, up to a month depending on where you're going and just the expense of it. You have to go through cargo which as we talked about is Mm -hmm. very expensive. Um, You can't do, they they can't go in the hand luggage like they can somewhere like Europe. I wonder if there's anywhere else that surprised me like that.
1: Having lived in Australia, New Zealand, I kind of think oh yeah, I would see why they would be like that. They're quite strict with like a lot of things like that as a whole, bringing stuff in. What about Insurance. I know we talked pre-recording that you obviously don't have numbers here. It's quite a big question and probably people need to do their own research. But for like US, for example, does travel insurance for pets get covered in normal pet insurance?
0: Travel insurance for pets.
1: Yeah. Does that exist? Is that a thing?
0: (laughs) I don't think so. For people, (laughs) you have two kinds of travel insurance. You have one which is just like your health insurance that you can use in another country. And then the other is like if you have some trip interruption or there's um pet health insurance that yeah. many americans pay for a monthly fee it's insanely expensive um and a lot of people in the uk do too i think both i think three countries tend to have really expensive veterinary care and they're your biggest audience so the uk okay. canada and the us mm. all tend to have pretty expensive vet care. um so a lot of people from those three countries get the annual uh, pet insurance yeah and typically you can use it wherever you are. So like right now, if we needed to go to a vet in um, Florida, we could use it. If we're in California, we can use it. It's just as long as we're in the U.S., we can use it. But if we go to outside of the U.S., actually, no, I don't think I looked into that. But in places where we're going to be going, like, for example, we're going to Italy. Yeah. Um, You know, we can afford to just pay out of our own pocket. It's not,
2: uh, okay. the cost
0: is not so much that we would end up bankrupt because our dog is sick.
1: I think because we're from, we are both from these expensive vet bill countries. I just assume that you'd want to get insurance if you're going abroad with your pet because it'd be, it'd be so expensive. Like Italy, for example, if it if your pet is ill or you need something done, in my mind it's like oh, it's going to cost loads, thousands. But maybe it doesn't in countries that are not our countries. I'm not sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cheaper, quite a bit cheaper. I'll give a quick example. So like that paperwork the to get the um, the USDA yeah. official letter to, and form to be able to go to Europe. Um, the cheapest I've seen that in the US from other people just reporting is around $150. And I think I saw that once. Um, most people seem to spend about $250 to $350. That's pretty common mm. for the document. And um, I've seen up to eight, eight hundred. I think was the most I've seen wow. in the U.S. And I was quoted the other day seven hundred by a vet here in Florida. Very expensive to get that pet passport in mm. Spain and Italy and France is fifty euros.
2: Is that? it?
1: <laughs> hey, yeah. Just a quick one. I just want to say there are many ways to support this podcast. You can buy me a coffee and help support the podcast with $5. Or you can go to my merch store with the affiliate link with TeePublic, where there's plenty of merch available to buy, such as t-shirts, jumpers, hoodies, and also some children's clothing. Thirdly, which is free, you can also rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, or GoodPods. Also, you can find me on social media on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. Simply just search for "Winging It Travel Podcast" and you'll find me displaying all my social media content for traveling podcasts and other stuff. Thank you. Well, oh, I do miss Europe sometimes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's crazy. So
0: yeah, there's, you know, just the cost is very. Um, it's you know, it just you can't compare.
1: Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's, that's crazy difference. Okay. Is there any questions you think I've missed that are quite important, with regards to pet and traveling? Have we covered most spaces, do mm-hmm. you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess just um, if, you're, if you're the kind of person who just wants to travel kind of locally, mm-hmm. you know, like a typical American vacation, <gasps> you get your seven yeah. days and uh, you go somewhere within a day's drive. Um, the most important thing is just pick a pet that works great for your family. Doesn't matter the size or the breed. Um, other than when you start to get more than two, you run into trouble finding somewhere to stay even Mm -hmm. campsites often limit at about three yeah um so unless people do the kind of boondocking or they do rving or things like that Mm -hmm. uh, you, you just you get you get it gets very difficult if you get more than two and almost impossible once you get more than three dogs so that's something to keep in mind and um it's also easier if they're under about 50 pounds just because hotels often have limits like we'll accept two dogs no more than 50 pounds each things like that.
1: Right. Okay. Got it.
0: Starting from scratch. That's something yeah. to just keep in mind if you know that you're going to be wanting to travel a lot.
1: It's just interesting that if you want a big dog, this sounds a bit harder.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's not impossible, but mm. um, you have to, and you have to read the fine print of every place. Yeah. And, uh, and it's always the same too. Like we've kind of enjoyed staying in Staybridge Suites um, when we're going because uh, it, one, it fits with our credit card miles. So oh, yeah. we can often stay there for free and, yeah. um, you know, has a little kitchenette and stuff. So it helps us save money. Um, but, you know, I read one and it was like one hundred and fifty dollars per night, per pet. No, uh, you know, no more than 50 pounds each, something. And then the next one that we stayed out was like fifty dollars. No size restriction, no breed restriction wow. no nothing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's just and that's the same chain. So <laughs> it's not... really weird. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's strange. Yeah. Yeah, interesting.
0: So, yeah, if if you know that you're the kind of person who wants to travel a lot, you may want to consider Mm. the breed and the size and um, those sorts of things. And then just really work with them as a puppy. Get comfortable in the crate, get comfortable in the car. Um, And as long as you have those things, you know, you're going to have a fantastic traveling dog. Socialize them that they're really comfortable with bicycles and people and um, good on trails and things like that. Yeah, you'll have the best life ever with your dog, being able to go wherever you want—campgrounds, national parks, um, trails, beaches. You know, you can have a fabulous time. You don't have to, you know, go crazy and leave the country. Um, <laughs> but if you do want to leave the country, small dogs.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's weird because you think, "Ah, oh, I've only ever seen small dogs, of course, on flights, and they are generally all well-behaved uh, that I've seen personally." And you even get like some people want to stroke them a little bit as well. Uh, I guess that I don't know if that's good or bad because it might affect the rhythm of the flight. If people want to come and say hello to the dog, not sure if that's good or bad. But yeah, I, I just think oh, they're kind of not a pest. They're fine. They're quiet. They sit down. <laughs> yeah. Now, now you said that they don't go above you like, oh yeah, of course, they're this lady's feet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you made me laugh. <laughs> yeah.
1: Can we also give a shout out to cats? I don't know if you have much experience oh, mm-hmm. or even uh, knowledge like speaking to other people about traveling with cats uh, is that just is a similar thing yeah. is they're small they're light is it the same sort of rules etc
0: i do not own a cat so mm. um i won't speak from personal experience however because cats and dogs are often um, on the same forums and in okay. terms of what the rules are yeah. i tend to know what all the rules are for cats too um, so let me just back up to say cats do not like to travel generally speaking the way dogs Mm. do yeah cats tend to like their space get their familiar routines and things like that and when you disrupt them Mm. they often have a much more difficult time making the transition that's not a blanket statement there are some people there's a there's a cat um that i know from instagram who unfortunately just passed away um but had been to i don't know like 100 national parks and would walk (laughs) on the trails and everything it's a fantastic cat yeah amazing um but anyways so but that's an exception and part of the reason mm. we're so amazed by it is because that doesn't happen very so cats generally don't like to go on vacation just but if you're moving of course you want to yeah wherever yeah that's not not even a question um and so then you do need to to go through the process whatever it is um mm. Cats, because they don't tend to have rabies issues, um, they are not limited as much by some of those, like, you don't know, yeah. have to get the rabies titer test, and um, they're just a little bit easier in terms mm-hmm. of the paperwork and um, movement between countries. So they are easier, and they tend to be smaller, so they tend to fit in hand luggage uh, and can almost always go on the plane. They don't have usually um, have to go cargo or excess baggage, so it makes them easier. Yeah, um, they just don't really want to go. So,
1: makes sense. <laughs> From my experience of cats, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, I've got a little fun question here. I've got tell us, three countries that you travelled to with your pets that may have been your favourites. Mm. You can't include your home country.
0: Um, yeah. So we went to Canada for um, a month uh, mm. as part of this road trip, yeah. and we loved it. Oh my gosh, we were, we were like, Canada, please adopt us. Um, <laughs> yeah oh, it was fabulous. And in terms of taking dogs to Victoria, absolutely incredible. They were allowed a, a little trickier with restaurants. um they did not all the patios were dog friendly the mm-hmm. way they are in California and a lot of the states. um but so many trails they could go off leash. Yeah, it was amazing. So if you are a dog person and you live in the Pacific Northwest, go to Victoria. highly recommend it. um so that's amazing south africa is incredible from the perspective of just it's just got so many like the beaches and the um the hikes and dog it's just a very dog centric a little bit like the uk i think where everyone has their dog mm-hmm. and everyone just kind of takes their dog every, everywhere the yeah. little dog <laughs> um they go on holiday with you just sort of a, a thing um so really fun that way Um, and then, like I mentioned before, Ecuador was just great in terms of, um, no one really caring. And so she, and, and people loved her too. Um, you know, like Mm -hmm. we'd go to the park every day and my husband, she played frisbee. She she would throw the frisbee and she'd catch it and do little tricks and stuff. And so all the kids who lived in the neighborhood would come out and want to throw the frisbee for her and yeah. around chasing the frisbee and so it was just <laughs> it was like a nice little icebreaker too like yeah. to get to know some of the kids in the neighborhood and so yeah it just made a really big difference I think in in um building some community and just getting to see the country in kind of a different way yeah mm. I
1: actually thought you said Victoria is great and I just think because I live in Canada I don't know if this is an issue or not but like other animals I'm talking like not just other dogs I'm talking like bears, for example, like in Vancouver or North Vancouver, if you go like on a walking trail, you technically could be encountering a bear. Like, Does that sort of thing come into your mind where you go or is that a worry?
0: Yeah. So, you know, we try and, well, there's plenty of people I suppose don't, but we try and follow the regulations of the parks that we're in. Mm-hmm. And usually the people, the rangers or whatever they've done there, they know what animals are there. Yeah. And so typically if you're in a place where there's bears or snakes or what have you. There will be signs that tell you. And often then that comes with it is leash rules.
2: Okay. Yeah.
0: Versus somewhere like Victoria where um oh there was an owl. Yeah, that was kind of intense. So my thirteen poundy is a little too small. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he's quite small enough that there could be an owl. But we had this it was gorgeous. Oh my gosh. And he was probably three feet tall. Oh wow. And he was sitting in the tree and just i don't know he was watching my dog pretty <laughs> uh, some eyeballs there yeah. and then we were we were watching him looking at my dog and, and going like this is so cool this owl's just in this tree right here it's beautiful we're enjoying it and my dog's on a leash He's, nothing's gonna happen mm. but i was like oh my dog had been running around and we weren't we didn't know <laughs> the owl was there it's possible he could have swooped down and you yeah. know, i don't know yeah. but um yeah so that definitely um but yeah, we just try and follow the regulations that have been established by the parks mm-hmm. because we assume that they know better than we do about what the animals are capable of in that particular place.
1: Yeah, I think just follow the rules, basically. Um, I guess if you don't follow the rules, that's your own risk. Sometimes, like, being based in Canada, like Northwest or other parts of the US as well, with the bear thing, like people sort of joke about bears, like, oh, aren't they fun? I'm like, well, they're not really that fun. <laughs> you don't really want to <laughs> run in. You don't want to run into one, do you? It's just a bit of admin you got to deal with. And I think you yourself would probably go into a bit survival mode to make sure you're okay. But having a dog as well, oh, like um, it adds an extra stress, isn't it?
0: And a lot of the national parks will limit you from going to some places where there are, especially like grizzly bears. And yes, like grizzlies, so yeah. Um, yeah. But that's the national parks. There's plenty of, like, for example, we love to go to Lake Tahoe. Lake Tahoe has a lot of black bears and they will often, you know, that's why, if You've ever been in uh in mountain communities like that? They have those um the garbage cans that you yep. have to spend 10 minutes figuring out are open, yeah, 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 <laughs> because yeah. they're trying to keep the bears <laughs> from opening them too, yeah. And so, you know, we were at a cabin rental a couple of years ago and um it had one of those out front and it didn't have a fence, and so you know that means that if we want our dog to go outside to go to the bathroom, it's a little bit of a pain every time you got to put it on a leash, go outside, mm. um, and the some of the people who lived and it was a vacation rental so it was a mixture you know a lot of people actually live there and they just let their dogs go outside and the dogs mm-hmm. are trained to come back um but i remember being scared of like i don't think my dogs know enough about bears and about yeah where we are you know so i did the extra yeah of making sure that they're on the leash to go to the bathroom um because that was like my feeling of needing to keep them safe but I imagine that um, not everyone does and and eventually one of those dogs is going to meet one of those bears. And
1: yeah.
0: I don't know what's going to happen.
1: It's a very good question that because my friend lives in North Vancouver in the summer, had a real big black bear. I know black bears are the most docile of them, but still a bear. And he just wanders into the garden, goes to the bin, like you say, animal bin, starts eating things at the bin. And obviously my friend was inside, Taking a video inside of, you know, from the window and the bears just chomping there, sitting down. But upstairs is a dog that they've got. The landlord's mm-hmm. got a dog absolutely barking away, like left, right, and center. Bear didn't care. And now I was thinking, okay, so he's not, he probably can hear the, the dog upstairs, right? Don't really care about what that dog's doing or what that's trying to bark at him. But I do wonder, like, oh, if there was no building, this is like a free for all, what would happen? Would a dog try and attack it? I don't know. Literally, wouldn't want to know what the outcome would be because I think the bear would probably, if it gets annoyed, could do some damage. But yeah, that's that's a bit of an interesting thought.
0: Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh,
0: I, uh, my goal is to not find out the answer to yeah, that
1: question. True. But like because where I live in North Vancouver, there's no choice. Like they just come down from from the Grass Mountain, like 10 minutes away and just walk into people's yeah. gardens. So if your dog is just yeah. outside chilling in the garden and the bear suddenly wanders in, which you can't do nothing about. I don't actually know what happens, um, but obviously people in north Vancouver do have bed uh, have dogs, so obviously they're more used mm. to it or know how to de- treat that situation. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Although I, I wonder if this might apply, I couldn't say for sure. But I was talking to a dog trainer in um, in Maine who recently lost her pet. Um She had a couple, and they were seniors, and and they passed away. Um, and her gardener was saying. You need to get another dog because your yard is getting re- ruined. All these critters are coming in now. Um, so some small things like gophers, but also bigger things like coyotes and some other um, things that he said was like digging holes and and taking things from our garden. And he said, "Yeah, when you had your dogs, I never had any of these problems. Huh. Your yard was fine. Oh wow! Um, but now that you don't have dogs, your yard's getting ruined by these outside critters. Yeah. So it is possible that the critters are aware." Of ah, yeah. who lives there and um take like a different yard to go to I don't, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't think you could guarantee that um if you had something really tasty in your yard but.
1: i've got a few more questions do you ever travel without your pets anymore
0: yeah um i mean not right the second because our life is kind of constant traveling um, yeah. and they're with us um but before we started doing this i was an educator and um, so we had summer time to travel and um, I like to go places that I've never been before. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, we went went to Japan, we went to Bali, Um, We went to Spain and France a couple of years ago. Uh, The really nice thing and that was super helpful is uh, my husband's brother lived in the same town that we did and um, he's young, single. So he'd just come over and pet sit for a couple weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So it was built in. It was, it was lovely. The dogs love him. We know they're safe. Um, we just, you know, freeze a bunch of food and feed him and, (laughs) um, and so, you know, we had a swimming pool. So he's like, it's like a little vacation. A vacation for the dog. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, it, it worked out super wonderful for us to, to do, um, because, you know, I think it's one thing, like, you know, when we're going to go to Europe for a year next year, that's fine. But I don't necessarily want to bring my dog on a plane mm-hmm. to another country with all the paperwork and the stress or whatever for a one week, two week American holiday.
1: Yeah, that's fair enough. Which kind of brings me on to the next question for next year. What have you got planned travel wise?
0: Yeah, so fingers crossed. I'm a little concerned because of the um Uh, the canine respiratory illness that's been showing up, um, that something might happen similar to what happened with COVID flights. I don't think they'll cancel flights for people, but they might say, oh, we're not flying pets or dogs right now Mm -hmm. uh, because we don't want diseases to be transmitted. And if things are that bad, obviously, we don't want our dogs to get sick either. Um, But I am a little concerned if that might disrupt us I don't know, Well, you know, you can email me in January and we'll find out, <laughs> but put um, a huge hiccup in our plans. Uh, but assuming then that, that doesn't, um, we're supposed to be leaving at the end of January and um, our first stop is Italy for a month. Um, and then we'll be doing that what's called the Schengen Shuffle, uh, which for people who don't know, that means they allow tourists into the EU or the Schengen Zone, which is
2: mm-hmm.
0: a variety of European countries um for 90 out of 180 days and um so you're allowed to be there on a tourist visa so if you want to stay for like a full year in Europe you can't stay in some of those main countries that people often think of like France and Spain Mm -hmm. and Portugal and Italy um full-time so people shuffle they move in and out of um some of those countries and with with some other countries that are uh, nearby but not in the Schengen zone so places like Albania, Turkey, um, Bosnia, places like that, Mm -hmm. and um, kind of go back and forth. So that's what we'll be doing. So kind of one month, maybe up to one to two months in a place. And then we'll go somewhere else for another one to two months. um, And we'll do that probably for about two years. That's our idea.
1: Oh, wow. And that is fully remote working as well. Yeah is that with uh this service that you offer now with pets around the world or is it you got side work as well alongside of it
0: Oh, well, um for me that is yes that's now my job
1: okay <laughs> lovely yeah
0: um for my husband it's a little bit of a different story but yeah for me um with education uh, after covid and everything i was like i right, i think i need a break and <laughs> started planning all this and um anyways yeah so we have kind of a two-year sabbatical type thing going on. and yeah. um, So we started it now with uh, this road trip, and and then wow. we'll be leaving. and That helps us save some money, too, by yeah. being in Europe, especially in some of the Central European countries, cost of living is significantly lower. Yeah. So uh, that's why we can afford to do it. Um, versus here, like, you know, we talked about vet health insurance. People health insurance is what will keep us
1: from being able to do that here. Yeah. Okay. That's a valid point. Yeah, that Schengen Shuffle that you mentioned is new for UK people because since we left mm. the EU, we now have to do that, which is a whole new concept because before we just travel wherever you want. For as long as you want, you can work wherever you want, but now it's a, it's yeah. a thing. So that's kind of what we're getting mm-hmm. used to now. And Even now, no one's really sure the rules, but like you said, it's 90 days out of 180. So effectively, you can only travel six months of the year in the Schengen zone, basically.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, people who are doing the shuffle, Americans who are doing it, um, the UK is one of the places I didn't mention that I wasn't thinking of it. Um, but the UK is one of the places that they can go to get yeah. out of the zone. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Of course, it
0: just happens to be a much more expensive place, so we are not putting that on our list for right now. Um,
1: well avoided. But- it's really expensive here. <laughs> uh, I, I haven't been back for a year and it's gone crazy. I don't know what's going on. Um, it, it makes Canada seem cheap, which is unheard of. But there you go.
0: Oh, that's disastrous then. <laughs> Canada's not cheap.
1: That's not, no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Okay, that's great. Can you remind the people uh, what your website and what you can offer, just remind them what you can offer for pets, you know, advice and where they can find you as well?
0: Yeah, so it's, um. Pets Around the World, just all one word smushed together, petsaroundtheworld.org, um, and that's my main platform where I have all of the content there that is meant to help people, It's primarily at school is to help people um, who are interested in traveling with their pets, even if it's one hour or if it's flying to a different country. Um, and of course, I'd love if anyone has already traveled with their pets, if they wanna go and leave uh, the, my version of a Yelp review, um, mm-hmm explaining what their experience is like going to that place. Uh, that helps other people tremendously. Eventually, I, this is sort of a future goal. I'd love to because I'm thinking about the things that I need. So to know some of the places to get those pet passports, um places to like dog boarding facilities that will take day walk in. I'd love to kind of collect that information and have a directory. Mm-hmm. But um, that, you know, I think I have to probably hire someone to help me with that. And I don't make enough now to do that yet. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. kind of a, a long term goal. Yeah. So eventually I, I'd really like to do that. I think it'd be very helpful because that's probably one of the hardest parts about traveling the way we do it. It's like you constantly have to find these services, so more mm. tricky. Um, and then in terms of social media, um, that's mostly just for fun. Um, you okay. know, we use it a lot of times to kind of show showcase the fun things that we're doing. So like on Instagram, that one is um, pets around the world. Also all one word and then underscore Emily okay. and so just lots of really fun videos of like our dogs going to the beach and uh, going on hikes every Wednesday I have a walk with, walk on Wednesday so you go on a walk with my dog it's cute
2: <laughs> yeah I love that
0: <laughs> yeah so um, it's yeah so, so Instagram is a great place to just sort of see what we're doing and and mm. just get um, oxytocin from cuteness of dogs
1: it's key absolutely crucial to life and the best thing about your website is you do cover from literally 10 minutes of walking or an activity to traveling across the other side of the world at the minute it's great because you can just search by country or area or region uh, activities to help on there if you've got a bit of a dog training bit on there as well so it's like covers all the things we discussed today it's a great little site and also it's great it's growing i think that could be a real good like say directory of information for pet owners
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the day when I can add that service on because I I feel like it's constantly people are just asking those questions and all Mm. of that, but it just it's gonna I'm gonna have to grow a little more before I can add that.
1: And also in theory, you might have more time if you've got this two year sabbatical coming up. Um,
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope so. So maybe maybe in about six months or so I can start start working on that.
1: Absolutely. Awesome. Okay. We're going to finish the episode with some quick-fire travel questions. I ask these to every guest. These are not specific to pets. These are just you, personally. Your travels from the start to now. And I'm going to start with... It's travel question time. Your top three favourite countries.
0: Um, okay, so this is not a country. I guess neither Nam- 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 these two are <laughs> I'll tell you my top three favorite places. Okay,
1: places, definitely. <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, so Zanzibar and the Galapagos oh. are two of my top two that are tied. Yeah. Um, both of those places are incredible. Once in a lifetime, like, if you can go, don't even think about it for a second. Yeah, okay. definitely. Zanzibar and Galapagos. And then third place, changes all the time. I <laughs> I don't know. I feel like there's... Sometimes I'm like, oh, it's this one. And sometimes I'm like, oh, no, it's this one. Um, But Turkey's the one that popped in my head right then. So I'll just go with that one.
1: Okay, Turkey's great. And what about three places that you've not traveled to that are next on your hit list that you're looking forward to?
0: Mm. Well, um, so we're going to be going to quite a few places in Europe that I've never been. Um, I've never been to Italy. And that surprises people for the amount I've traveled. They're like, what? (laughs) <laughs> you know, i Italy, like that's just a classic country, so that'll, that's exciting, I'm going to go there. I never even really thought about or knew much about Montenegro.
1: Oh, um, hidden gem of Europe.
0: Because of, yeah, so because of the Schengen Shuffle, you kind of look into some places that mm.
2: you're
0: not as familiar with, and um, yeah, I'm discovering these places that are just like, what? This is beautiful and amazing, and I'm actually really excited to go, I'm glad that, you know, visa rules are forcing me to try something I didn't know very much about. So like Montenegro and Albania are two countries that we'll be visiting or spending a month in each one. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to going to both of those places.
1: And what about if you could sit in one city with your dog with a cup of coffee and just watch the world go by, To sit there and watch it, where are you gonna sit?
0: Barcelona.
1: Okay, it's quite a popular answer that one. Okay. And what about if you could live in another country for a year that you've not lived in before, where'd you live?
0: I guess that's kind of what I'm doing. So I guess my answer is, <laughs> well, you know, actually, that may not um, be 100% true because uh, because we were traveling with our dogs. So I'm um, picking some places that are much more reasonable
2: mm-hmm. with
0: dogs. Yeah. Um, so for example, like New Zealand is a place I'd love to go to, but that doesn't make any sense.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so yeah i think new zealand might be a place i would pick maybe argentina we visited argentina and we really liked it um it made more sense at the time to go back to ecuador but we really liked argentina and we wanted to go back
1: Mm, interesting okay and what about a top three favorite international cuisines or foods
0: well one of the reasons i picked because you said sit at a coffee shop one of the reasons i picked barcelona was because how much i liked sitting there and eating the things <laughs> of course yeah <laughs> maybe not the coffee so much of it I'm not a coffee drinker but um you know just the hot chocolate or the yeah. um just whatever they it was just whatever they put in front of me somehow it was amazing <laughs> um so so the food there is definitely top um when I was 12 we went on one of those trips back and forth we went to mm-hmm. Hong Kong
2: Oh, nice. And yeah.
0: uh, between South Africa and the U.S. Yeah, so this was before like, the British gave it back. Um, this was back in the 90s. Oh wow!
2: Um,
0: but anyways, they had kind of a hot, that hot pot, that Asian hot pot. Yeah. I can still taste it. It was just <laughs> so good. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, so I'm assuming that, that that didn't go away just because the change of government, that you can still go get amazing hot pot. Uh, Another one is um, like on the coast of Kenya. So in Zanzibar, that's part of what I loved about it. Um, One of the things that's super interesting is the mix of um, so it's Indian, African, European, all the spices and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, So and they and they grow the spices right there. Mm -hmm. So like the pepper, the nutmeg, it's all from the trees that are right there. So the food from Zanzibar is mouth it's just you never (laughs) tasted anything like it um because the spices literally came off the tree that day
1: Zanzibar is in my top five places to go i haven't been
0: yeah 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 so it's just incredible um so and you can eat well for not very much Mm -hmm. you know like um for example there was a guy there he owned a restaurant and um he was like we were there kind of with a bigger group um, so I think it was, I don't know, less than $5 a person. Wow. And he set up this whole spread of tables for all yeah. like 12 of us on the beach. So our toes were literally in the sand <laughs> while we were eating like prawn curries and, um, vegetable curries and, you know, a whole fish that was roasted in, I don't even know what, nutmeg or something <laughs> yeah. and. And I totally spent the whole time just wiggling in the sand, like with happiness.
1: Wow. Sounds dreamy. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. What about a favourite beach? They you mentioned a beach.
0: Go with California. Um, not a particular one, though. But I love, love, love Northern California. Like if you get north past San Francisco,
2: um, so
0: but between San Francisco and the Oregon border.
2: Right. Um,
0: there, especially if you go winter, they're cold and it's mm. gray and they're big the the waves are big and you got to bundle up in your jacket but there's no one there you're just there's just miles of beaches and you're just there by yourself it's just amazing
1: beaches in California and Oregon they're huge but in, mm-hmm. in terms of like they go for miles and there's so much space yeah. and like I say, you say there could be one person with a dog but it's not going to like impact you because it's so big and you just go anywhere. It's it's pretty incredible sight.
0: Yeah. So I love that. How
1: about this one, what about a favorite walk or hike that you've done?
0: the The one that just popped in my head right then was um, we just went to Glacier a couple uh, back in when were we there October September yeah September end of September oh in Glacier National Park.
1: Oh okay, right. Okay. Yeah
0: um but that that's part of the reason i like it i mean it was very busy so i I tend to like things that are less crowded Mm. um but it was so accessible like you could be you know my grandma or you could be a kid or you know like everyone could really enjoy it i guess Mm. didn't allow dogs though so that was the downside but um it was probably just two miles um there was kind of a boardwalk the trees were beautiful there was this like the the river was rushing down mm. and it kind of it got crowded by these rocks and so it created this like sheet of water so clear and beautiful and um and now i feel dumb because i don't remember <laughs> what the name of the trail was
1: it sounds lovely but
0: <laughs> it was it was gorgeous and um definitely like you know because national parks obviously they're beautiful anyways um but this one just really stands out as like. Oh, this is amazing.
1: Mm. Yeah, we tried to go as many national parks in Canada and USA because that is amazing. So well looked after. One of the best countries in the world for them, I think. Um, Okay, Mm -hmm. last question of the episode is going to be, if you were to give a few sentences as to why someone should go and travel, not necessarily just with dogs, just in general, what would you say to that person as to why they should?
0: I think it goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning related to kind of culture shock and... um seeing how the world works in different places if you never leave you never realize that there's any other way to do life and so then you just kind of get into like a oh this is just how the world works
2: Mm. um
0: and especially if you're American we tend to have a very um like oh we're the best country in the world kind of a an attitude which in many ways we probably are lovely and in many ways uh you know we're not um and so you know for example when I went to China and they've got these trains that are just flying along 300 yeah. miles an hour or whatever yeah. and california spent the past 10 years like bickering over two miles of land and spending 10 billion dollars i you know and you just go okay <laughs> 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 but, and and people are like why would we want to train and i've been on one and so i can that goes so fast like that and so i know why we would want to train people who've never left california wouldn't have that perspective, and so they they don't realize the what it can bring to their life and the state, and and so you just don't have the ability to kind of see that new perspective
1: mm-hmm.
0: if you don't um, see the wonderful things that are happening around the world but make life more interesting and challenging and fun and and unique.
1: Emily, thanks for coming on to the podcast. It's been a great chat. Learned a lot about dogs and travel today, uh, animals in general, but. <laughs> Yeah, I've learned that dogs don't go at the top in uh, in the hole, So, um... <laughs> yeah, it's been a fun chat. Thanks That's for coming so fun.
0: on. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. It's always fun to talk about dogs.
1: Indeed. Thank you for listening to my Wiganet Travel Podcast episode today. You can find me on Instagram at james hammond travel or Wiganet Travel Podcast. You can search for both. I release weekly clips of this podcast episode, as well as photos from the last 8-10 to years of my travels. You can also follow me on TikTok, Facebook and Pinterest by searching Winging It Travel Podcast. I do release daily content to do with travel and the podcast throughout the week. Also check out my website, jameshammond.org. There's content about myself, my travels and there's also a newsletter sign up as well as a contact form. Finally, please rate and review the podcast on Podchaser. This is my platform of choice. Alternatively, you can rate this on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts from. This really helps the podcast gain a bit of traction for the future in terms of guests and content. And I'm glad to see that you guys are listening out there, reviewing it and enjoying the content so far. Stay safe, stay humble, keep listening, keep travelling and I'll catch you soon. Cheers, James.